Welcome to the County Rose Bobblers Bobblecast. It's myself, Witch, joined by, well, a couple of retained guests and, and good friends of ours, uh, Rob Fisher and uh, Matt Barry. Uh, hi, chaps, anyway. Evening. Hi, Dave. Oh, good to, to have you back anyway. Always a good laugh. Um, Rob somehow managed to get out of Mitch's alive on the, uh, the transfer deadline day. Um, so that's always a good sign of a good character when you, you come out of the Bobblecast live, alive. Um, so, it, you know, I was kind of, as one of them weeks, I had my uh, COVID vaccine on, on Monday and I was like death warmed up. Um, Kabamon in the physio room yesterday, just struggling to actually move. Um, so I was wondering where to do one this week and I thought, well, well you can't not do one, can you, with, with it being a, a back-to-back win? I can't even remember the last time. We've managed our back-to-back wins, so let's talk about it. Um, Rob, you look uh, poised and ready to go there, so I'll ask you first on this. Back-to-back wins, is it a sign of a side clicking? I certainly think it's a side that, um, even before the back-to-back wins, to be fair, I think the resolute, the the strength, the leadership, the just the, you talk about the spine quite a lot, and I think... Um, you know, Everton teams in the past have always had a strong spine. Uh, and then kind of the upfront kind of then takes care of itself. Um, I think we've seen that over the last sort of month grow, um, especially the centre-backs. And I know, obviously, we've been mentioning it a lot in our socials. Um, the three in midfield have just completely transformed how we look at every game now. Um, and the strength and depth in midfield now is quite, is probably outside of those top four or five is probably actually one of the best in the Premier League. Um, I dare say even, it's probably the same top four or five. It's probably actually better than our neighbours at present. Uh, our illustrious, uh, you know, people across the park there. I mean, uh, I was listening to people talk about last night before their game, um, but saying how much they're struggling in the midfield and things. And really, you look at our midfield now and uh, the mix and the kind of... They've only had, what, three, four weeks together. Uh, so what we've seen so far is really, really good and hopefully can only get better. Um, we all know Wobi's probably at his peak, but we're hoping he's still got more. Um, but I think Anana, especially, at, and Adrissa Gay, I think it's going to take them still, um, you know, this next few weeks before the World Cup break. Uh, we should start seeing the best of them in the next few weeks. Totally agree, Rob. <clears throat> and, you know, variety is the spice of life, isn't it? And as you say, you know, them three midfielders, they all bring something different to the party, don't they, almost? You know, it's it's a, it's a balance that we just didn't know that we we probably were going to have, you know, before the season. Um, you know, certainly that moving a Wobie inside. Um, Matt, uh, it's... Uh, Rob just mentioned there about, you know, there being some some distance maybe where we can we can actually progress a bit further with that midfield. Garner, uh, what can we expect out of him? You know, can we expect him to play every week? Obviously we've got James Garner almost lurking in the shadows waiting for a chance. Um I almost forget that he's there half the time, but you know he played really well for the for the England youth side the other day. Uh, what what do you kind of expect, Matt? Do you think uh do you think we might see him soon enough or um I I, th- I think it, it can be a little bit of a horses for courses. I think I, I, I think that the one thing that the Garn has brought is is the safety blanket for the forward players to actually get forward because he'll allow you to play four three three or four five one or four one four one 
you know, he, he's he's disciplined enough to and experienced enough to be able to do that. And it's going to give the likes of Iwobi and Anana the confidence to to get into the box or to be, you know, breaking late into the box. Um, I think the big benefit for him in, in some respects is that, you know, we are in, in Europe. So, you know, he's not going to have the workload that, that he had. Um, and I think that, you know, the Carabao Cup is, is going to provide an opportunity for the likes of Garner and Tom Davis uh, and DeCorey to, to get meaningful game time now because, you know, I don't see any of those dislodging the, the three that we've got. You know, I've got to echo what, what Rob says, you know, in terms of quality, um, you know, they're, they're probably well within the, the top six midfield three in, in, in the league at the moment. I, I don't think without a shadow of a doubt, you know, it's it's night and day compared to what we had last year. And we've got energy, uh, we've got intent, we've got nous, um, and we've got so much so much more capability than what we had last year. Bobby uh, Brown shoes today obviously was was uh, comparing Anana to uh, Fellaini almost in terms of talent and, and ability. Um, we can't possibly reveal our source, can we, Rob, on this one? Uh, but we know that uh, Anana has been in Frank's office, um, uh, you know, with some of the coaches looking at opportunities to get in the box, you know, and to to, to be a presence in there and. And potentially score more goals. Um, something that obviously he's asked of a Wobi as well. Um, ironically, if we look at the weekend, the first goal uh, came from a knockdown from Anana in the box. The second goal came from a Wobi crossing to Anana taking the full back out. You know, and obviously Dwight McNeil getting on that, and almost a third goal came from from Anana himself getting in there and diving header. Are we starting to see that hard work, would you say, coming to fruition? Now, obviously, these marginal gains, sometimes, if we don't hear about them and the work that goes on in the background, you don't kind of realise it, do you, till it actually comes to fruition? But I think it's clear that there's plenty of work being going on from that to make the set pieces. Are we starting to see some of that come to life in, in the game day itself? Yeah, definitely. I think in any workplace, when you're happy with the core work that you're meant to do, you then start looking at the extra things they can do. So for for Frank to be saying that he already wants Anana to be going in the box and he's happy with his, you know, your box-to-box sort of work. Um, you know, in, uh, you say about comparing with Fellaini, I think Anana looks like he, he potentially could be a better footballer than Fellaini. Um, but what Moyes did well was Fellaini was edged him up further up the pitch. I remember there was months of him and Cahill being our forward kind of sense of for we had the wide players but they were basically the the only ones through the middle um and Fellaini really um you know got his forward play uh I don't know how much he did before that but he definitely learned got developed under Moyes I mean uh remember a couple of last minute equalizers at Goodison over the time uh where he chested down and then just kind of shoot straight away and it's proper striker you know it doesn't look like a striker but it was real striker sort of uh instinct i think anana we we see that um not maybe the assist for cody's goal because that's quite unselfish so not really a striker instinct but um i think in the first half there was a chance where anana could have done better but the, the, that one probably that was from a set piece the the first goal obviously but the the one in the first half was from open play so that really does say 
and as we know, his understanding and his own speaking of English is absolutely fantastic for a uh, 21-year-old who's uh, played all his time in, in European football in, in uh, you know, in a league where you might not necessarily have loads of English-speaking people around you. So that's to, to see that is fantastic. And the, obviously the understanding is really there. And I think, I think set pieces, we're suddenly seeing the switch around, aren't we? Because we've been awful defending them recently and not great at attacking them either. But now we're seeing we had loads of corners uh, to defend against Chelsea and um, against West Ham. And we did them, uh, we did defend pretty much most of them really, really well. The, the only time this season that'll be a bit of a, a, a disappointment with that Brentford equaliser late on, but they were under a lot of pressure there. And let's be honest, we probably <laughs> definitely didn't serve probably to win that game. But yeah, I think I think you see all the work going on. You see the the little gains as you talk about, and that that will happen, especially um, as we know, Dave. We've seen for ourselves the the sort of nature of um, the happiness and the kind of really positive nature of Finch Farm and everything around there. Um, and that that just gives you a real momentum. And it's not just the men's team, the women's team as well. Yeah, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, Rob. And I think, you know, obviously I heard last year and the year before, I think we had Izzy Christiansen on the podcast talking about Denise's One Club vision um, and how the, the club had changed massively from the first time round where, you know, she kind of, well, the, the women's team turns up, tiptoed around the outskirts of Finch Farm, played and went home straight away in the cars. Now, you know, they turn up, it's very much one club. You know, they train the same facilities, use the same gym. Uh, there's an open door policy uh, in Kevin Felwell's office, apparently, where where anyone can go to, you know, whether that's Brian Sorensen, whether that's anyone at the, the football club, you know, and there's the, very much that unity, as you say, and it's, it, it, you know, it's it's clear, isn't it? You've only got to watch the videos, the dancing. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to get us doing any TikToks anytime soon. I don't know about Matt. Uh, if you're, you're going to be doing any, any uh, Matt dance Matt looks like he's got a disco if... lights behind him now. I'm not sure he might <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a good job we don't make these visual, these uh, podcasts, because, uh, you know, there'll be, be plenty of shame coming our way. But there's, there's belief there, isn't there? Um, and I think that's what... You know, like Sir Frank Lampard brings, and a mass. I know we we spoke about this lots of times, but you know, I think players generally they believe in, in Frank Lampard above all, aren't they? They believe, you know, they they, they realise his message is authentic, and I think a lot of the young players can relate to him, can't they? Yeah, I I think you know from the evidence that of what we have seen, um, in in two things really, it's that you know what what Lampard has said to to the supporters. Um, in in interviews and things like that, you know, there's there's a lot of authenticity to what he's saying. There's a lot of genuine, um, there's a lot of genuine sentiments. I think, and you know, I, I think for somebody who is is very media savvy, um, who's very well polished um, in, in his communication skills, I think that you you could probably see through things if if we if he didn't mean it, and he certainly doesn't doesn't come across that way and I think it's rubbing off on the players as well and because there's been such a a big turnaround in the squad and you know for eight players to to come in but the players that have come in you know six of them are first team starters straight away so you know this has already got the nucleus of, of, of a Frank Lampard squad so 
I think when you've got strong characters and leaders like Tarkovsky and, and Cody, and as Rob mentioned, you know, An- Anana, he's so articulate for his age and he's so very well spoken and you know, his English is so good. He can communicate, you know, pretty much better than most that the message is, is getting across to the players. And I think when you see, when you see the determination that, that they've had for the, for the first, you know, the first tranche of games, then I think what, what Lampard's trying to instill with them and the belief to go and play as they've been playing um, and to have the belief in themselves. Because I think if you look at the Southampton game last year, we went a goal down and then we went two goals down and, and the, the, the team just went just went to pieces. And, you know, I think when we went one nil down on, on Saturday, I thought, I thought a bit differently to what I did last year. I thought, no, hang on, we can probably come back. And, yeah. and at least get a draw here because by the time you, you thought know, that, Matt, we were two one up. <laughs> yeah, do, do you know what, Rob? You're, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. And I was watching it. Sadly, I was watching it on a stream, so I knew we were two one up before we were two one up. But I'm still thinking to myself. <laughs> so I'm still thinking to myself. No, we we can we can still be in this. We can still be in this. But you know, I th- I think that's I know I know it's early days, but you just get the feeling with this group of players and. When they were coming out and they were doing the lineup in front of the Premier League logo and so on, and you had Cody shouting down the line, you know, G and the players up, and you had Tarkovsky then speaking to Cody and he's banging his hand together. Like, right, can you get into these? You know, we're gonna really absolutely we're gonna get into these, you know. And and he's there and he, and he's and it's just instructions going along the team, they're going along the team, going along the team. And you know, it, it just doesn't seem to be one minute's rest from from Connor Cody. For the players, you know, everyone's going to know their job. Everybody's going to know their responsibilities. And for the first time in a, in a very, very long time, you get the sense of accountability between the players as well. And, that uh, you know, everybody's got to put a shift in because if you don't, you'll get told. And now, thankfully, we've got players on the bench who are, you know, more than happy to, to take the shirt off, off anybody in that starting eleven. Accountability is important, isn't it? You, know, you talk about this in any job, you know, it's you've got to produce. Uh, you've got to be, you know, Dave, you've got can to I be just the... say, Dave, um, yeah, the difference. Lampard was the manager when we played Southampton away that, that Matt rightly brought up from last season. I, I can't remember if it was like about his fifth game, sixth game, something like that. Um, you know, and uh, I was there, I was at Southampton, and uh, there was no rail strikes that day, but it. It was a hell of a journey to get there after the storms that had happened a couple of days previously. Many got stranded in London and couldn't get down to Southampton. Um, but I remember the midfield was Alan and uh, Tom Davies. Alan got booked in the first half. They were so worried about him getting sent off, they pulled him at half-time. The second half consisted of Andre Gomez putting in probably one of the worst midfield displays I've ever seen. Not in a personal attack, but and poor Tom was at his state of not in a great confidence or probably frame of mind at that time. I remember one time there was a, a ball that bounced in front of Gomez and it bounced over his head and he just sort of turned and uh, looked and then the Southampton players came in and just fouled him. And I think from that free kick, it brought a lot of pressure and then they went 1-0 up and as Matt said, they went 2-0 up very quickly. But you look at that midfield then, what, we only, only like five months later and the midfield we got now, it's just game-changing. And Tom... Don't get me wrong, Tom Davis has massively got his game back on, on track and that'll be down to Lampard and the coaching staff. Um, I think Gomez was unlucky with his injury, but 
the last couple of years have just seen a completely lack of confidence player. But that shows in five months how much the midfielders um, changed and how much more confident as fans we have to be about it now. You're right, Robin. I mean, you say the midfield as well, but if you, even if you look at the rest of it, you know, you look at Cozy, Tarkowski, uh, you could argue the fact that Awobi's a different player, he's playing centrally, converted almost, and you know, you know, Frank recognising the fact that he, you know, he's got the abilities to to step inside maybe, um, and Mopay up front as well. We've essentially got a, you know, it's I'm trying to add up here now, but uh, six players difference right the way through that spine. You know, six players who you expect to actually play most games um, and actually be accountable. Um, just come back to Matt's point and and that makes it such a you know such a difference to be able to rely on that on that spine, doesn't it? Out of those six, today, if you if you think that how many of those are actual you know leaders and you know, you got Tarkovsky, Cody, Garner, there's three. You know even even Banana. Patterson, Banana, Banana, yeah. to be fair, yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah, even, you're you know, him train pass pass yeah. quicker quicker. You know, but you know happen. even Nathan Patterson when when it's been a bit of a kickoff in the games, you know, he's always over there. He's always in between. He's always getting in between players. And, you know, his chest is out. And he's a, he's a big lad. But, you know, he wants to be in the thick of it. He wants to be in, you know, where his teammates are, you know, potentially, you know, getting a bit, getting a bit of a hassle. And well, I'm, going to challenge, I'm going to challenge you on this, Matt. Um, yeah. And, uh, Rob, there's, there's a bit of a... Obviously, stats are important. They do. Data is important. It's always good to analyse, you know. And you, I think uh, speaking to likes of Andy L. Pivis and, you know, people who, who do this as a full-time day job, they, you know, they talk about the importance of, of context as well, you know, and understanding mm. the actual bigger picture that surrounds it. Um, so I think, you know, I've got to look at the whole thing around it. Um, and, and there's plenty of question marks about is what we are doing at the moment sustainable? There's definitely numbers there to suggest that, you know, we are conceding chances. Uh, we are backing our goalkeeper, as in Jordan Pickford is, is clearly making some very good saves and, and making them often. Um, however, um, the, the quality of chances are, you know, I think um, was it analysis, Matt, or one lad the other day put a graph, graphic up. Might have been lad, um, um, Lawns or Lewins, whatever you would call them, uh, the Watford lads. Who put a, a graph the other day, and it was basically suggesting that Pickford's making you know a, a high quantity of saves, but the chances aren't actually high quality chances. Mm-hmm. So the question is, anyway, is that sustainable the way we're playing? You know, is there a point where you know that we might have to adapt what we're doing, um, or is it too early to start suggesting that? Um, and is it also, sorry, is it a totally multifaceted question? This is it about quality of chances over quantity of chances? Because obviously, you know, a tapping in six yard box is different than a, a snapshot on the edge of the box where you can. So, just so lots, of, lots of things to consider there. Um, Rob, go on. I'll, I'll put it on to you straight away. Harlan's just tapped in another one in the six yard <laughs> box, though. So... <laughs> Or is he up to now? 21 goals for the season. Um, so, no, um, I, I see where you're coming from, but I think we're, we're still in this transformation stage. Obviously, we should have played one more game uh, with the, obviously, postponement of Arsenal away. So, we, I think we're all quite happy with that postponement because, obviously, Pickford would have missed it. Um, 
and Arsenal are flying, especially at home at the moment, unless so that continues on Sunday. Um, but, you know, I think there's still a transformation here. I think by the time that World Cup break comes along, that's when I look at the stats. You know, yeah. we used to say don't look at the league table after 10 games or so. And I think when you've got the that's transfer... That's the rule. Windows, that is the rule. Yeah. When, <laughs> when, unless you're top. Um, <laughs> um, but the thing is, you've got to consider is that there was a lot of games before the transfer window closed. I can't remember off the time I had five. Um, so that that is a lot. And obviously we know why, because of the World Cup. Um, so I think we've only had like three games really since the transfer window's closed. So I think, and I, I know you question him, and I question him as well on Twitter, uh, tactically Matt, who's a good friend and he's actually a member of Toffees in London. Uh, you know, he's a good friend and yeah, everything. But it was just a, point of with the midfield three and I know with times GA now I'm I look at them now but I'm not really you know I'm, I'm old school uh starting in the mid 80s so these stats are a bit uh for me they're a bit twisted really but um I think we've got to wait for the midfield three and the back four to sort of be settled for these next sort of six seven games for the world cup break and then I think you can start to see um because it was quite the West Ham game, really. They only had a couple of good chances late on. Um, you know, there wasn't, and even Liverpool at Goodison, it wasn't, um, most of their chances were late on in the second half. Um, and same for Forest at home. So there may be a case of, you know, there, there's a lot of things going on and um, our benches weren't great in the first few games either that Lampard could change it. So, in that way, I think there's still a lot before you pull these stats and look at them. Um, I agree that we're not conceding easy chances. And again, to go back to the point from a bit earlier, set pieces, corner, you cross it in, player headers it in, that's an easy chance. Okay, sometimes you get a really good header from a, a set piece from sort of 12 yards out or something. But a lot of the goals we conceded over the last two, three seasons have been awful from set pieces. And that's an easy easy chance, easy goal. And it's much harder for a goalkeeper to save those. Um, you know, so I think Pickford's Pickford's had save of the month, hasn't he? Twice out of the last sort of three months that it's been given. Uh, yeah. He had it in May and he had it for the, uh, the uh, Nunes one in the derby. So, um, you know, it's fantastic to see him at kind of his peak form. And um, I think, the centre-backs as well, no-nonsense centre-backs, although they do pass, they can pass, um, but when they know, it's they just kick it out, you know, just get rid. Um, you know, and I think we're all disappointed, obviously, with Patterson's injury, but just to see him over those few games and his development was also great. And as Matt pointed out, you know, Cody coaching and leading um, Tarkovsky as well. Uh, and as we know, Dave, we, we do get a little bit of inside track us, but uh, we know Connor Cody's been doing that off the pitch, not just on the pitch. Yeah, no, most definitely. And probably doesn't uh, stop talking from the second he walks into the, the training ground to the, well, probably still till he gets home. But um, I th- yeah, you know, I think you raise really good points there. And, you know, and I think, like you say, it's a side of evolving, improving. Um, you know, a side that probably didn't have a striker at the start of the season, so was playing in a certain way, uh, which naturally invites pressure. Um, that's changed. Uh, Cody's obviously since come in. Uh, we, you know, th- everything's changing. We've gone from back three to back four, so it's hard to, to really, really pin it down and, and look at it. You know, and I, I, you know what, I, I really enjoy um, 
looking at some of these stats and you know quite I, I'll see like an analysis Matt and more often than not I'll scre- screenshot his stuff and put it on the Bobbers group you know because it's you know he ra- raises really good points and you know if you don't follow him give him a follow he's a really good lad you know he, he really delves into the, the kind of logic behind it and, and evokes some conversation which is which is important um Matt, are you the same kind of uh, feeling around that? Do you think that, you know, as we as we improve, we'll we'll see some of them stats improve, and you know, how much should we we look at it? Is it too early to start really kind of what are you about it? Um, I mean, it I, should be useful, shouldn't it? I, yeah, and you, you can look at it two ways with, with stats. I mean, you can you can look at it from a positive and a negative. You you can make a case either way with 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 statistics. Uh, it just depends on on how you want to look at it. But what what I would say straight away this season is that you know we, we look so much better from from the, from a uh, a defensive point of view. We're far more rigid. We're far more um, far more stronger under pressure than than what we were last year. And I think you know it's an incredibly solid platform to to build from. But as Rob mentioned earlier, with, with the midfield three, and and the key to it is our possession stats have gone up as well because we've got players who are far more confident in their in their own abilities and far more confident as as a group. And you know, since we've changed to to four three three, then I think that's been that's been quite evident. I think you've seen the confidence in in the players um, take a take a step forward as well. Um, I. I think the, um, Rob mentioned the World Cup earlier, and I think I think the World Cup is is quite important this side of of Christmas because I think players are playing for their places, and I think that once the World Cup's come and gone, then I think I think the league will, will settle down to a much a much sort of stable degree from where it is now. Um, I this season for me has got the same type of feeling that we had with Ancelotti's um, second season or full, full season with us, where the middle of the league was very, very congested and there won't be a lot of points difference between probably 14th and 7th or 8th. And I think having the side which you're building now and playing with confidence and playing with togetherness then you know, once Calvert Lewin does come back to full fitness, um, I, I think you'll see a much, much more uh, potent and attacking Everton than what we see now. Do you reckon uh, clean sheets will be the sort of maybe difference with that, Matt, that where Ancelotti, we fell off and finished, I can't remember, 11th? Whereas the, yeah, 12, the thing yeah. is with this team and the clean sheets, I think uh, there's a chance there with little differentials that we could actually get top eight. I... I I don't see why we, we couldn't, to be honest, Robin. And I think that, you know, as I said earlier, we're far more robust. Um, and I think there's belief. Belief is a massive factor. I think with this with this group of players, again, that you know, Ancelotti's Everton. I think we were the players were quite fragmented. I think they were quite mentally weak. Um, I think they were. I think in some respects they won't, they, they didn't want to put a shift in for each other, and I think it's the complete opposite with these lot. And where we we lost some games two one or or one nil, um, I think now they those draw those losses are draws and those draws are wins. You know we're not going to win every game. We're not. We still got to play Man City. We got Spurs away coming up. That's going to be a hard hard game. That 
Um, you know, Newcastle away is going to be a hard game. Sunday's going to be a hard game because I think United are going to be, you know, thankfully they've got a game tomorrow. So, you know, anything they need to, to try and disprove or prove to the manager that you can get out of the way tomorrow and it's back to business on Sunday. But um, I think that what the what these players are showing, even in the early the early stages of the season, is that they are a group of players who are together, and they're not not a group of individuals like we've seen before. Talking about obviously the, the kind of change in in players and and sticking with players, and obviously that unity. Um, do you think there's a certain onus on us as fans as well to, to stick by certain individuals? Obviously that. We've seen obviously McNeil come into the squad as a prime example. Um, obviously Alex Wobi is probably going to be a one-off in terms of how he's transformed, but you know it's it's a player that's developed over a period of time. Um, Spike McNeil probably twelve months or so different than Gordon in terms of age. Obviously different players in terms of skill sets, but obviously both wingers. Fantastic finish at the weekends. Um, what can we expect of, of Dwight McNeil and, and you know and Anthony Gordon as well? We're not necessarily going to see that consistency, do you think, at, at that kind of age? Uh yeah, I think McNeil it's difficult because everyone said, Oh, wait for Dom to come back in and then McNeil's gonna be that's his strengths. And but I, I really liked his performance at Leeds away. Um and this is where I do look at stats now after the game uh, is individual. And I didn't realise how much hard work he did in that Leeds game and how much, uh, I think, it, I can't remember which stat it was, but it was something, it was something like uh, ball recoveries or, or uh, you know, something like that. And he, he was the best. There's this Twitter account that does outside the top six who has the best stats. And he was top for that midweek uh, group of games. Um and I think he does offer you, he was used to it at Burnley, he's used to doing that hard graft and that sort of, you're not just an attacking player, you've got to do the whole sort of game plan with the, the fullback. And I think, uh, I do think that was a tactical thing that Lampard put in for the Leeds game. And what it did do, it allowed Patterson to get forward as well. Uh, and he should have scored near the end there. Um, and I think McNeil's had a real low confidence. I think... Uh, it's not just to do with us. I know a lot of people have picked apart his Instagram comment of the weekend about last few months, but he's only been here for, you know, some of that. I think he's, uh, he came here really low on confidence and, but he's really glad that Everton had taken opportunity and he knows, uh, in all fairness to Burnley, it's a step up, you know, and, uh, but to work with Lampard and, and all the staff, you know, um, and to put him in on Saturday now, whether Gordon was, able to play a full 90 because there was uh they did say he was ill but i think the confidence that gave him to to say oh we trust you to come in and, and play uh a really big role for us and then to get the winning goal i mean that that uh we like scoring tight angles at samaris don't we that we were marcus bent <laughs> back in the day that last minute one with the famous harry redknapp was going and you see all the evertonians in the background um you know uh but it was a great finish. And what, what I love about that, he didn't think, he just naturally hit it. And that that shows you a player who now is probably feeling a lot happier, um, feeling more settled, feels part of the squad. Um, and I do think we'll we'll see 
a player that will develop throughout the season. Um, you say about Anthony Gordon, um, you know, when Gordon's on it, he's one of the best young players in the Premier League. But I think we do see a bit of fall off sometimes. I think we saw it in a couple of home games uh, recently where he'd obviously done really well in the away game, scored the goals. Um, and then there was just that little drop-off, just seemed to be maybe, and after the, the transfer speculation, um, it's only fair to say that he was probably a bit fatigued, not just physically, but mentally. And that that's perfectly fine. And I completely understand that. But after having a little break off, did well for the under-21s, maybe a bit ill, unfortunately. Um, but he came on on Saturday. So it'll be interesting to see what Frank does on uh, on Sunday. Um, you think he will bring Gordon back in, but we've got confidence in Neil now and the fans should stick behind him and uh, I thought he did well when he came on against Liverpool he had I think it was a deflected chance but nearly went in uh, I think Alisson saved it you know so he's getting in positions and he's he's he made he made it pay on uh, on Saturday with that goal so uh, yeah and we all, we all know that everyone feels part of the squad and part of this uh, you know uh, project as it were um, and I think you know McNeil you forget how young he is, actually. Um, but I think he is a player that can grow. Um, and when, hopefully, Dom is fit, uh, that will add another bow to kind of the, probably what was his best skill at Burnley, which was getting the ball out into his left foot and getting those crosses in, really uh, pinged in crosses for, like, Chris Wood, uh, etc. It's interesting, because obviously that, that goal came from the left. Um, he's, he's almost been out on the right for Everton, almost that left footed right winger, the one we've kind of cried out for. But uh, looking at the stats, uh, Southampton 43 touches, 21 passes, 81% pass accuracy, five crosses, um, two chances created, two big chances created, one goal, a uh, couple of take ons, uh, one pretty much all of his duels, seven ball recoveries, a couple of tackles. An interception. So he, you know, he right across the board. He's done a bit of an all-round performance there, and and obviously got the goal to boot. Um, but I mean, I agree with you. Um, that finish uh, was actually it was timeless. It was almost like he, he wasn't looking at the rest. You know, there's a lot of players who, mm. who rush the shots, and you know, we've seen Ross Barkley that over the years where you know he's almost looking at the other person, getting the shot off straight away. McNeil just concentrated on his technique, and it almost felt that like was, that, that was Sheedy esque, was <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the natural left foot, wasn't he? he just knew that yeah. if he caught it, it was going in, you know, and it's he was obviously a talented lad. We've seen you know a, a goal flying against us from him where. You, you could have had three keepers in, you're not saving it. So he is, you know, he's 23 years of age. He's not going to shake. You know, you're going to have to have a certain level of balance across the squad, aren't you? Um, so, so Matt, you know, I guess my question to you really is, obviously, he brings probably something a bit different than the other wingers that we've got. Um, yeah. Do you think Do you think it's, do we bring him in a certain games or? Um, I, I think you know one thing that Rob just said is is really key is about you know the last few months and you know he he's, he's been liberated from football's version of Shawshank you know at, at Burnley <laughs> it's this, this, this horrible horrible place and a horrible horrible team and you know you see Tarkovsky you know he's he's flourished now he's, he's allowed to play football and you know we, we've seen what what he can actually do on on the ball. Um, now he's allowed to, and and I think I think over time we'll see it with McNeil as well. You know, I, I think 
we're going to allow him a bit of creative freedom. Um, it, there was certainly a difference when he came over to the left from from playing on the right because he, he's so heavily left-footed that I think it restricts him and, and what he can do. But you know, one thing you mentioned about his defensive coverage, and you know, he is he is very very good at, at covering his his fullback. But I, I think what what he can do here, and he can dovetail with with Gray, and he can dovetail with um, with Gordon in. in coming in and out of games is that you know he will be afforded time and you know he, he was very much the supply chain for for Chris Wood and um and Ashley Barnes at, at Burnley and I think you know, there was such a heavy reliance on him to to create now I think he can sort of step back from that and and actually have time to to develop and and get a bit of confidence because you know I think what this, again the stats was it something like 55 games without a goal and four jog games without an assist? And you know, for, for what would have been Burnley's creative players, you know, that, that that's going to be like a millstone around his neck, that because it's going to be someone that's always thrown at him. You're supposed to be creating for the forwards and, and you're not, but he's come to us now. And I think there is a bit of confidence rebuilding that, that we need to do with him. But I think from the very early stages, he's shown that. You know, he does have a fantastic work ethic, but he does have the ability to to get to get forward and get goals. I was I was frantically trying to chase back and I should I should have looked at this before we came on this actually, but I think he, he is close or he might be around to hundreds of appearances, mightn't he, for the for, for the Premier League for Burnley. Um which for his age, you know, it's it's no mean feat, you know, and a side that you can't really shake. Um so I think you know what, and I, I get back to this, and it, it, um, a post before got me thinking. Uh, they kind of took, you know quoted Martinez's uh, comment on Fellaini uh, with Anana. Uh, I think that Moyes would have really loved uh, McNeil. You know, I think if you looked at the manager, you know, I, I think that, that uh, well, I, I know he would because allegedly there was a rumor that he was trying to uh, bring him in as a, as a left wing back. Um, you know, as as part of his plans in the summer, and obviously it didn't quite work, and he wanted to stay up north. Um, so he was looking to convert him. So the people may have seen me posting, but there was a bit of logic behind that. But um, do you, do you think he's got the touch of the Kevin Kill band, Steve? Yeah, you know, he, he might not be the classiest player in the world. But Billy Lett enough. Yeah, but look, yeah. you know, <laughs> your, your Mark Brightons and you know your James yeah. Milners and. And everyone goes on about pace, and I get it. You know, I, I think we do need more pace. We need lots of pace and physicality. But you know, Gareth Barry wasn't really, really fast. James Miller wasn't really, really fast. There's lots of you know, Mark Old Brightons. He wasn't electric. Mm. You know, he just good, got the ball out of his feet and whipped the ball in. There's plenty of players that have been in and around some of these title winning sides that haven't necessarily just been you know, pace masters. You know, and yeah. we've had our Walcotts. So you've got to have a bit of both, haven't you? And I think. Um, that balance on the wing is going to be really interesting. I still think we need one more there, to be honest with you. Um, and that you know that might be one for, for January for us to look at. Uh, I know Diaz and you know a few others that were linked uh, with us, um, obviously in, in the transfer window. So should we fast forwards uh, weekends? Um, United in an absolutely peculiar kickoff time, seven pm. Um, I don't know where they plucked that up from. I think the Premier League an absolute disgrace. Um, you know, I think the way they're carrying on with the fans and messing around with these kickoffs times, um, 
I'm never shy of saying this, to be honest with you. Uh, for anyone that listens to our podcast, knows I sit on the fans forum, and it's an issue I, I you know, I regularly raise. Obviously, Rob's there as well with me as well. I'm sure Rob is uh, is massive on these things for fans as well. But I mean, 7 p.m. Anyway, it is what it is. Um, the coach meets um, is there, and Everton fans being Everton fans are doing what we do, and we're meeting the, the coach again, and we're creating that great atmosphere and. You know, the scenes that we've seen have been absolutely spectacular. Um, if you, you, you're you not following already, uh, the 1878 on Twitter, get following them. There's a Twitter group uh, you can get involved in as well if you, you wish to put forward ideas, um, listen to some of the things going on. Uh, they're always w- willing to find out, you know, anyone that wants to get involved with banners, atmosphere, anything in between. Uh, so, you know, to encourage you to get involved with that. Um, but we're all going to be there, as we always do, um, creating that atmosphere. Uh, but a question I want to ask you, lads. Uh, I, I think I'm getting there with Barry about uh, two o'clock. How many Guinness do you reckon I can actually drink between two and seven? Um, two a.m. or p.m. Uh, well, two p.m. this time is the late one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I'll, probably, I'll probably be there about half three. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, if you're with Barry, bloody hell, it's how many kegs rather than how many pints? I think. <laughs> It should be a good one. Uh, it should be a good one. Um, so if you're there, fancy popping in, having a bevy, uh, we'll be around the winds. Though, anyway. I know there's a lot of the European groups there. Joe Riley, good friend of ours from the Irish Sofies. Um, I think uh, the Norwegian Sofies got about 36 coming over. Uh, Franco Benelli's there. Uh, there's there's a good few of the European lads we speak to. Uh, we're all frequenting the Winslow one on uh, Sunday. So get down there, join us, have a few bevies and, and say hello if you're around. Um, Question comes today, um, stadium capacity, Bramley Hall, obviously a big issue now in terms of our future, our heritage. It's it's probably the biggest thing that we'll see in our lifetime in terms of the change for us as a club. Um, potentially, it's it's less, it'll just over a season away now. Um, Matt, I'll, I'll start with you, obviously, Rob's on the fans forum, me, so I'll just put him in the background for two seconds and, and just ask you as... As someone that obviously visits the grounds, um, do you, do you, where do you think the attendance should be? I think we're around 52,000 now. Um, do you think that's enough? Do you think we should go higher? I know there's potential, obviously, for the standing to bring that higher. Where, where do you sit with that? Um, I, I always thought it should have been 60,000 because I think if, if you're going to build a new stadium and the aspirations that we've got as a club and the um, and the optics of, of the ground where it is, then you know there's no point in having a stadium that's got there's little point in having a stadium with a capacity that's only going to be the ninth or tenth highest in, in the division. You know, I, I get you, you're creating demand and and you know the then the want to go to the ground and people will pay a premium for that, but but still, the more people you get there, the more revenue you can generate. So I think they should have started at least at 55,000 and then we're real seeking up that. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a, a, an amazing, an amazing stadium. And, you know, the waiting list that we've got for season tickets now, there is the, the demand is there to, to meet the supply, you know. So it should have started off at 55 at a minimum and it, it, it should, should end up at 60. Rob, what about yourself? Cheers, Matt. Um, 
where, where, where's your thinking on, on the new stadium? And the- I'll go, I'm going to play devil. I was I was on the call with the stadium. I know you had to miss it yesterday, though, but uh, I was on the call with the stadium yesterday, and uh, I see the points, but I actually think the club have got it right. Um, reason being, everyone on the waiting list won't buy a season ticket. Because at the moment, if you've got a membership, you're on the waiting list. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to buy a season ticket. So say the, the Europeans on the membership or the Americans on the membership, most of them probably unlikely to actually, they're probably just doing it for the membership. You know, I know there's tick boxes and you may not say, oh, do you want to go on the waiting list? And probably people just tick it. So there will be a number like that. There will also be a number who just simply won't be able to afford it. Let's be honest, the current situation with uh, the cost of living crisis, et cetera. Um, some of the stadium, I think, is going to be as cost-wise for, for people to buy the season tickets, even as close, uh, if not slightly more than Goodison. But there will be a number of areas much more than that. Um, and that, in all likelihood, they'll probably be the areas available to the wasting list. So not everyone will be able to afford it. And then I think uh, I think me, me and, uh, you know, Jeff, who uh, was on your last podcast, Dave, and on the forum, me and him were probably the two who are actually agreeing with sort of uh, the club saying, Jeff said a good point about the, la- the, la- the the hardest seats to sell are your last five, because if you don't sell every single seat, you're basically losing money. Uh, because as you know, Dave, the stewards, the hospitality, toilets, everything depends on numbers. Um, I think, you know, there, were, there was a scene the table earlier with like on our, on our WhatsApp chat about, you know, stadium capacity and uh um i didn't know this till yesterday's call that man city have actually dropped their attendance um they haven't publicized it they haven't made it you know it's not a lot probably a few hundred or something but they made their led screens bigger in the i think they're in the corners they made them a bit bigger and taken a few seats out and moved those people elsewhere um you know and we're not far off their attendance spurs um, have had a drop off. Spurs stadiums not for, just for football, though it's for NFL, and uh, a lot of it to do with the size is actually because they've had to put bits underneath the stands for the NFL. So of course they're going to put seats in because it makes sense. Um, uh, but they, I think the figure was ninety percent on that table earlier. Um, I don't know. Spurs sell out for like all their big games, but the season to holders who don't go, unlike Arsenal who count. The season ticket holders who don't go, Tottenham don't. So you actually get a, a proper figure. Um, and I know that they even have a membership where for the season ticket resale, you have to pay for membership. Whereas for Everton, you don't. You can just go on the, you just need the customer number and you can just go on the resale. Who knows if Everton will change that for, for Bramley Moore. But, you know, so Tottenham and other clubs doing it slightly different. But I think the key thing is that you get the stadium full and you get it functioning completely. So full seats, full hospitality, full bars, full whatever. And then you can maybe look at increasing, which they can um, in uh, in the future. Um, and I think you've got to get that model rolling. And when you're saying full, you mean for everything, uh, League Cup, FA Cup, obviously the Premier League probably take care of itself. But, you know, I... We've all probably been at Goodison for Europa League nights. Do you remember a full Goodison Europa League? Okay, Fiorentina, 
probably probably only two or three games though we've had Goodison full and Goodison's just under 40 really it never gets above 40 now so 13,000 here or say increase yeah the waiting list is big and I think we will fill up the season to get straight away but you know we've had such a roller coaster last it's funny because the last time we were consistently doing well we had our average crowd at Goodison was like 37 38,000 it wasn't even full uh under Moyes you know I I had a season ticket then and I remember there would be little pockets uh obviously the obstructive views which wouldn't be full um you know and uh we were in Europe we were constant consistently in the top six everything well obviously now the demand is bigger but you just can't tell, especially with the current personal situation and with the uh, uh, we kind of how we've been over the last 10 years, shall we say, that people uh, are going to really splash out season after season um, to do that. So I think I think they've got it right for now. I can see the Camerons for 55, something like that. But at the end of the day, you're just talking small numbers. Um, I hope. As Matt said, I hope one day it is 60,000 because that means we'll be really successful and have a football team that everyone wants to go and watch. Cheers, Rob. Um, I think uh, one of the highlights of this conversation is that the forum do disagree. Um, I'm obviously on the fans' forum, Rob. Um, I fundamentally disagree with Rob um, and also <laughs> Jeff. Um, and, and there is there's plenty of that, you know, lots of topics getting discussed. We get you know, obviously voted on to, to the fans forum uh, by different people um, for different reasons. And, and discussion is important. It's healthy. You know, it, it challenges stuff. And we all base stuff off different backgrounds. Obviously, Rob, I know you're very experienced, mate, aren't you? And well, in, in the hospitality side of things, um, leadership planning. Um, you know, so I, I really value your opinion. It's just um, I, I, I just can't help but think that we, we should aim high, um, you know, and that we should push the sales team really and, and Everton to, to, to get us out there, you know, and that should be not just uh, domestically, that should be internationally. You know, we should be, you know, encouraging uh, fans from every corner of the world to, you know, to, to come here to, you know, the experience to, to be part of, of Bramley Moor, um, you know, and I do think that we need the, the ability to be able to do that as well. And I know Liverpool, for example, I've got, Actually, my best mate is, is, is a Liverpool fan and has a spirit of Shankly and, and variety of things, but he's constantly talking about how it's impossible to get tickets and you can put it down to success. But I think Everton have got something that's very sellable. You know, we are one of the, you know, the, the country's first, well, we are, we are country's first uh, club there, you know, as part of the, the, the traditional group of clubs. We, we've got plenty of selling points in terms of being on, 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 on the Royal Blue Mersey. Um, you know, and I think that there are things there that you can actually sell. Um, and, and a lot of fans, when you speak to them from abroad, uh, they follow Everton, not necessarily because of the trophies, but because we are unique. We're a community club. We're different than the rest. And, you know, I think that's the biggest challenge that we will have when we go to Bramley Moor is, is keeping the same Everton. But an Everton actually that will grow and needs to grow uh, for the right reasons. Uh, it has to obviously happen organically. And I think there is definitely a case for not necessarily starting really high. You know, I think there's definitely a case for starting at a certain level and then growing that level. Um, my personal opinion is it, it should have been higher with the potential to grow. But hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully the club have, well, not hopefully, I'm sure the club have done 
their research. I'm sure the club have spoken to people because they haven't. And to be honest, the uh, the consultation that has been done on Bramley Moor, I think, is a is an exemplar for for how consultation should happen. Um, so hopefully they've got it right, and and I'm wrong on this. Um, you know, and I think uh, there's definitely good points being raised, certainly in that discussion. Um, so. Just uh, obviously, we always ask if anyone wants to raise any questions anyway. And uh, as always, we have a, a variety of different questions. Um, I, I, we'll, we'll go with the so we'll, we'll go with the non-football one first. Someone says, uh, "What's your, your favourite pre-match, Bevy?" Um, and, uh, Rob, you're a, a man of the hospitality industry, a man who <laughs> you, know, you know the fantastic pub up in London. Um, so. What's your, your, your favourite pre-match by Vienna? Is it seasonal or not? Because that's a question, because I drink different drinks in the summer than I do necessarily in December. Uh, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> although I do, I, I, do, I do quite like a Guinness in the old uh, winter months, like yourselves. Um, I know the Bobblers uh, love the Guinness. I've actually got a, a Guinness keg set that I didn't get set up in London. I need to get set up here. So I'll invite you, you boys around. <laughs> I've got that set up. Deal. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, my favourite beer, and it has been for some time, is a German beer called Polana, uh, oh. which is in some, I think the shipper might are currently stocking it in town. Um, they have been stocking a vice beer for a while, but they're stocking a regular one. They did the last time I was in there anyway. Um, so that's... Uh, one of my, I had a, those at home kegs for my birthday a few weeks ago. So it's very nice. Still some of it in the fridge, actually. So uh, polish that off. Um, but yeah, any German beers, that's why uh, uh, Denby Castle has been a great addition to the town pre-post-match <laughs> scene because uh, they need the Veltins in there and other German beers. And uh, it's a brilliant atmosphere in there if you haven't been in there in town, uh, you know, uh, Full on Evertonia uh, went in there after the derby, <laughs> and you would have thought we won five nil. <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, everyone was singing a Nathan Patterson song for like for like twenty minutes. Uh, it was uh, yeah, brewing atmosphere down there. Um, so yeah, no, that's kind of my my pre match. Uh, obviously, uh, we know uh, around the ground it's a little bit more, or in in Goodison it's a little bit more refined. And we're hoping when we go to Bramley Moor Dock that'll be a little bit more uh, product range and, uh, you know, a few more different. And uh, that was part of the call yesterday where we talked about that and they, they're in agreement that there will be more sort of range. Uh, and uh, outside the fan zone may have more opportunities for local businesses to get involved, which will be really good, which I've done a bit this season, obviously. Um, but yeah, that's my, uh, that's my, beer of choice although I'm not, not that fussy to be honest any any sort of lager will do to be honest anything that wears the lip um, <laughs> cheers you know um, yeah you can't beat the German lager I'm going to be honest with you uh, Matt what about yourself what's your your favourite uh, favourite bevy before the game or watching the full season sadly, sadly I'm always driving up so for me it's uh, orange juice and lemonade or uh, or, or a Diet Coke sadly <sighs> but uh, no I'd uh, I'd love to be able to have a, a good few drinks before the game. We we you lot, but sadly I'm uh, reduced to soft drinks. If you were, if you did have to drive, what, what would you go for? Oh, any lager, to be honest with you. Although, yeah. um, Rob, if you had Bitburger, which is a lovely German beer, yeah, yeah, it's a cracking cracking drink. That definitely German themed here, isn't it? Definitely yeah. German themed. What oh, going, um, well, it is that time of year. I think um, I've got me a. Uh, my perfect draft downstairs, and they've got lots of offers on the uh, 
Perfect trap. But what what I like, Rob, and and it's actually going back, yeah, your neck of the woods or where you where you were as a base, which the Camden Hills. I uh, quite like the lager there, the Camden Hills lager. Um, I quite like it's the Madri. I can't. I, I quite like the Madri as well, but I do I do fluctuate with the seasons. So for me, it's it's going to be Guinness now. Um, it's definitely going to be Guinness. And and a little known fact is that the uh, the Bernie Mays on. I'm counting it out to a few cocktails at Christmas. So they do they, a bit of a Bailey's squirty cream, the, the full kind of Del Boy number. So you're, you're now counting it out. Fancy something different around December time and you don't want to fall through a bar, then don't turn up with any ways. Um, so well, there you go. Um, a football-related question. Uh, Tinks uh, says, he thought uh, Ancelotti was the saviour. Uh, Frank may not have the management experience, but has somehow managed to galvanise the fans, the team, and the boardroom. And his question really is, how did it happen? Do you think it was by chance? Uh, or, or do you think there's a sense of actually that he was out there in the kind of wilderness of the office after Chelsea and we were, and we were looking for someone, and it's just, you know, it, it just happens to, to have clicked. Um, uh, Matt, I'll flip this round. I'll uh, I'll start with you. Um, that's quite a difficult question. That um, I, I think it's a bit of both, really. I think from Lampard has a lot to prove. Um, after after Chelsea, and I think from from our point of view, from the supporters' point of view, then we identified that you know the, the players weren't going to be able to do it. Um, we would have to get them through it. And I think that's something that, that Lampard identified very, very quickly and tapped into. And I think that's what's forged the relationship that, that he has with, with the fans now. Um, and I think it's gone from strength to strength, really. Um, I think Kevin Thelwell's had, had a massive part to play in it as well with with the changes that he's made and the the improvements that have, that have shone through, I think, from... From the recruitment, but I mean to, to go the long way around the question. Um, I think that it, it was just luck that we both found each other when when we did. I think. Rob, what about yourself? It's, I mean, to connect with this fan base, it is hard at times, and because well, actually, is it hard? I think sometimes we just want honesty. We want a sense of we want a sense of that you actually care and. I think obviously you look at Bobby Martinez, Carla with two of the managers that probably have connectors. Uh, but then you look at maybe Ronald Koeman, Marco Silva, probably because his personality didn't connect. So what what makes a, a manager connect with this fan base? Um, I think, although the question said uh, Lampard hasn't got much managerial experience, what he does have is a wealth of football experience at the highest level as uh, one of the country's probably best uh, midfield players and definitely one of the best goal-scoring club midfield players. Unfortunately, we saw that too many times close up, especially in big games. Uh, so I think you have to pull that in and I think you use your experience as you do in any job to get people around you that you trust, uh, but you know that can improve. And you see the calibre of coaches that he's brought in, uh, Paul Clement, um, you know, Ashley Cole after a little bit of time, you know, there's there's been uh, 
talk of uh, not sure if Matt's related to him, but obviously Anthony Barry, mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, who we believe uh, um, won't be coming at the moment. But I'm not sure with the, obviously that Chelsea situation changing. But I think what he's done is he's just he knew what Everton was like as a football club. We are quite identifiable as a football club, as a fan base. Uh, and that's where our fan base hasn't changed with the Premier League, if you get what I mean. It has in small ways, every fan base has, but really it hasn't. It's it's still that fanatical, uh, you know, kind of match day driven, got to be immersed in, I've been using this word a lot in the last few weeks, so Evertonia. Uh, I think we've been missing that, obviously, massively. Um, I think we started to get it under Carlo, then obviously COVID kind of made that not happen from the fan point of view. Uh, we were all watching from afar and without our mates and whatever. Um, and then by the time we got back in, obviously, <laughs> everything, it was like a nightmare. We'd woken up uh, and suddenly uh, that guy was in the dugout and everything. And although results started all right, you just didn't feel it was Everton. Um, and I think what Lampard's done, he's just got the fan base said the right things. Moyes did it when he first came in, saying people's club and all that. Not the Lampard's kind of said a moniker, as it were, but basically what he's done is he's he's pulled the fan base, the resources, and basically, and, and us being on the forum, we know this, but to to maybe those on the outside a bit um, who may get their fix from podcasts and stuff like this more than anything else, is that basically he's not said no to anything. He's kind of... It, Open, not open arm, but he's kind of been acceptance of, well, let's try this. Let's try the coach welcomes. Let's get people outside Finch Farm. They could, the club could have easily shut these things down. Um, and I, I think really it's come from, do you want this, Frank? And he's gone, yeah, of course I want it. It's Everton. He knows what it's like. There was a quote, uh, and I've said this quite a few times, I think I'm right. When they came... It, Lampard came with his Chelsea team in, I don't know, 2000 and maybe seven, eight, nine, that sort of stretch where Chelsea were obviously one of the best teams in Europe, uh, as a, really the best teams in Europe. Um, and him and John Terry both said, I think they got asked which which was ground you dislike going to most. And they both said Goodison Park. And the reason was, they said, because the fans are just passionate. They're just passionate about their club. doesn't matter what's happening on the pitch per se but they're passionate about the club. And if they feel like they're the underdog, you know, they're, they're dangerous. They're really dangerous. They are the, the 12th, don't say man nowadays, woman, you know, they are the 12th person there. Um, and we've got back to that. And I think Lampard's tapped into that massively. And uh, the leadership he's shown, um, but he's also built aside and, uh, you know, uh, you can see the qualities of a Connor Cody or even to an extent Tarkowski with John Terry. And I think you can see he's getting players in. You know, he probably sees Idrissa Gay as that Makaleli <laughs> type of player, probably similar age he was at Chelsea. Uh, she had as you well, know. Yeah. Well. yeah. And then I was talking to someone uh, the other day, you know, and saying that Chelsea team had some average players in it. Like you're talking about Dwight McNeil. And I'm not, not saying, you know, I'm talking about the whole scheme of every footballer on the planet. Dwight McNeil is probably an average footballer, but they had average football. Solomon Kalou, if you remember, uh, Maluda, players like this. But they'd always score a crucial goal every few games and they'd always be in the team. And you'd be like, why are they in the team? And then you kind of go, 
oh yeah, that's why they're in the team. Maybe the opposition kind of mark other people because they're more dangerous. Um, but they fitted in that team, and I think that's what Lampard is now doing with Everton. I think there's still a few pieces for the puzzle. Um, but I think what him and Thelwell, and you can't leave Kevin Thelwell out of this conversation either, is that they've recruited players that we can all get behind and uh kind of Everton players that we see over the years. I mean, um and uh you you know, I think we can we can all agree. Neil Mope again, like is that kind of uh, we spoke about him earlier, Marcus Bent, you know, in that 045. I think Neil Mope is probably a better footballer, but it's that similar type of thing that just to fit in with the, the team and the type of guy he is and the competitor he is, it just suits the team. And I think we've got everything moving in the right direction, but this feels like it's a more permanent, hopefully uh, long-term project that's that with the start has really um, started well and we need it to continue. But Everton's only successful if the fans are right behind it and right into it. And at the moment, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Dave, because I've been on Twitter a lot over the last few months, but you, you've probably been amongst it longer like that. The last two, three weeks have been brilliant because it's been so miserable for such a long time and everyone biting each other, everyone, you know, and it, it has been, uh, you know, sometimes you're just like, I just need to switch off. I know you've done it a couple of times, but, uh, you know, it's just like the last two, three weeks, it's like, it's been brilliant because everyone can see us all going in the same direction. I agree, but so I think what people forget as well is football's our life, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's they, they, you know, I don't go to workplace. I don't walk into a corner shop. I walk my dog, dog at me Everton. You know, my dog school takes here. Walk me, you know, my dog with me Everton top on or be Everton hoodie on. And you know, Everton's everything to us. You know, it's part of our life, our community. It's what we do each week. You know, and it's. It makes us and defines us, and when we're not doing well, it, you know, we all feel it. The city feels it. You know, you've got people there that you can see the difference in, in people you meet. And you know, I, I've walked down the street the last couple of weeks, and people have spotted me Everton top, and they've said, "How oh, good, good result last week." And you can see that, you know, that the city's starting to pick up. You know, you, people are starting to be cheerful, and and that's important. And I think, like you say, Everton, you know, Everton. Everton hasn't been that way. It hasn't been a club that should be down in the slums. It's been a you know a really successful club, and I think Frank Lampard stripped it all back and and started to to install a sense of pride in in who we are and and how we are. And I, I think he hasn't tried to to do that by by you know studying rocket science. He's done it to try and get back to basics. And you know you look at the end of last season, like you say, you know Lampard was definitely on board of it all, and we know he was because you know he messes at the end of the season and spoke to to us and, and told us that, you know, he was taken back by it all. And I think he's really started to be part of the club, you know, and he's understood that maybe, you know, it's it's more than just him coming here as an opposition player and being hostile. He now understands that the actual, you know, the actual DNA of the football club and, and how important it is to communities, you know, how important it is to the city and, and, and well, without you know, without being Chico as ill, most people wear blue in this this city. Um, the majority of people do. It's the original football club, and it means everything to us, you know. And it's it's lovely to see. It's nice to see that. I think the eighteen seventy eight group and and actually the fan base as a whole of 
are brought into Sutton. They've brought into to Evertonia. You, you can say you use that word too much, but we've, we've got a sense of that back. We've got a sense of unity and, and things are coming together. And it's because of a lot of things. It's because of the fans. It's because of you know Frank Lampard. It's you know it's because of we we've started getting players that we can identify with and that, that we feel are actually representing us on the pitch. But there has been a, a, a sea change, hasn't the Matt? There has certainly been a, a huge yeah. shift over the last well since January. Yeah, you you just said exactly what I was, what I was about to say. Then is that I think he's he's looked at what he inherited when he when he took over end of last January. Looked at the players who were in the squad and. You know, I, I think he's he's got a very good working knowledge of, of of the club, and he'll look back and he'll know what type of player is an Everton player. He'll know what type of player identifies with with the crowd and, and vice versa. And I think he's looked to recruit exactly that. And you, you know, I, I think he he wants the players to be representative of the crowd, and that's hard working, honest. You know, we'll put a shift in, and when you when you look at the players who he's who he's gotten rid of, then you know I think straight away he had the he had the uh, the measure of, of of a few players very quickly, and and he's moved them on, and he's he's replaced them with with players who are you know are willing to put willing to put their bodies on the line. You, you have a look at that that clip, the sequence against Southampton where you had. Tarkovsky blocking the ball, then Mikalenko throwing himself in front of the ball, and Coleman throwing himself in front of the ball, and then we go up the other end and score. Yeah, when was when was the last time you could remember that happening? And you know, I, I forget who it was in the in the week who was talking about it, but you know, our defenders are celebrating blocks like forwards are celebrating goals because that's their job. That's how important it is to them, and. You know, that's that's the type of thing that we've been crying out for. All the money that's been spent, all the managers that we've had, all the players that we brought in, and you know, as you just said, when you strip it all back, all you want is the basic, hard-working footballer who will you know, represent you on on the pitch, and and that's what we've got. As as we know, in this city, money can't buy your love. As the Beatles said, you know, it's you know, we, we don't expect a lot from Evertonians. Um, in terms of we just expect hard work, we expect yeah. you to give it all for this club, and I think we've got a history of success doing that, you know, and finding the right players. And, and some of them players have been written off before they've even joined the club, you know, yeah. back in the days before my time, like Andy Gray's and players like that have come to the club and always been written off. So I think, you know, I think we are starting to get a sense of that again. Um, just a quick one before we finish on a slightly uh, other note. Uh, obviously, we always get the, the manager many go round, and Paddy Powell must have lost a serious amount of money, leveraging Frank Lampard as being the, the next manager to be sacked. Uh, we've now got a lot of clubs in perilous situations, and one of them is not Everton Football Club, uh, but we've got Aston Villa, Leicester, Southampton, and Forest. And I'm going to give you a list now, lads. Alan Powell. Uh, Alpards, Pardew, Allardyce, Rafa, Poulos, McCarthy, and Old Daichi. Which one of them are going to come into a job very soon? Do you think some of them are rubbing the hands? Um, if, out of the six there, who, who do you think's going to come in into the, the the golden tickets very soon? I'm probably going to get paid lots of money for it as well. Did you have Sean Dyche on that? Did he say Sean yeah. Dyche? Yeah, yeah. I think six months. 
I think Sean Dyche will probably. I know Matt was quite. It's <laughs> quite a review of Burnley earlier, but uh, <laughs> I do. I do think for the resources he had and that he did. A, he did quite a good job at Burnley. To be fair, I quite like Sean Dyche. Seems to be the type of guy you go for a pint with, you know. So I think, uh, and I mean a pint of beer, not a pint of wine, as one of the other in the list does. Um, but, yeah, so uh, no, I think uh, Sean Dyche for me would probably deservedly maybe get a. Job and I think uh, just I don't know if it's the next question. But I think uh, I think uh, Hassan Hootle at Southampton's very close to uh, going, and I think he's had he's had he's been like a cat him. He's been beaten nine nil twice and all that, and uh, very in and out form team Southampton. So I think I would I would have thought Rogers would have gone uh, by now, but that victory on Monday night's given him a bit of time. But yeah, I think Sean Dyche will be probably uh, and quite deservedly probably. Uh, should get a job in the Premier League again soon. Where, Rob, then? Just, just out of interest, the four clubs mentions. Where would you be? He could go, could go Southampton, but the only problem with that is the players that they've signed is a lot of young players and a lot of kind of inexperienced players. So I think that might be a little bit tough for him. And, and the thing is with Wolves, who've got vacancy at the moment, they're probably going to go continental, as we say, because... Uh, about three quarters of the team are Portuguese, aren't they? So um, they've got Tony. <laughs> I see Sean Dodge. They've got Tony Chaparro in charge as well. To be fair, that's <laughs> yeah. a counting of the traditional yeah. option. But uh, yeah, no, interesting. Cheers, Rob. Um, Mass. What about yourself? Which which of the six are getting a job, and, and where, where's, where's that going to be? I think Rob spot on with with the uh, with the BTEC Klopp. I mean, to be beaten nine twice and still and still have a job is is unreal. Um, you know, Dice, I mean, he, he belongs in the football in Hague with, with Benitez. Oh, shocking. <laughs> um, but I do I, 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 I do think that somebody will, will bite the bullet with, with him. Um, I think Lopetegui apparently is, is, is going to Wolves and Sevilla getting beat 3-1 tonight. So I think that might, that might move a bit quickly. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Dice ended up at somewhere like Villa. Because I think they've spent so much money, they're going to do whatever they can to stay in this league. And I think Villa play, I think Villa play Forest next, and I think the loser of that game is going to be in real, real trouble. And I think that I think that Gerard is not a million miles away from going. I think Good I think Perslow, the, the great the great communicator Perslow, is gonna <laughs> is gonna do all he can. To save his own bacon, I think, and he'll be doing his little webcam and, uh, announcements. Tyrone Mings is definitely a Sean Dyche type of player. Oh, you'd love him. You'd love him. <laughs> yeah, he would. He would. And, that, and, and that rat McGinn <laughs> as well. Right. Oh, yeah. Horrible little shitbag. Spitfire FC before we know it. Oh. Oh, that's another thing we love it. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely potential there. Is my man Mick McCarthy going to get a job? That's all I want to know. He's there. He's a nice fella, you know. He's, he, you know, I wouldn't want to be manager of my club, but he's, um, he's got to be. He's someone. Someone's got a twist on Mick McCarthy, surely. I don't know, um, but we'll see. Surely we can't. Surely I prefer Mick McCarthy on um, Deitch over any of them. To be honest with you, Pardew, Poulos, Rafa, and Allardyce. You just never know with these. Steve, Steve Bruce has got to be going at West Brom soon. They're like oh, in the relegation. Oh, Brucey, yeah. uh, yeah. baby, Brucey, baby. Right, so it's 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 a fascinating league, and 
maybe it's not as the uh, the bookmakers and some of the uh, the certain leaning media have predicted. Um, Frank Lampard won back to back games. We roll on to the weekends, um, and I must say, um, I think Everton first eleven pro- probably picks itself at the moment. Um, do you lads agree? Do you think maybe only one position, which which might be with that wide forward position, might be up for grabs? McNeil or Gordon? I, I Gordon think you'll bring get the nod. Sorry, Matt. Yeah, I, I'd say I, I think you'll bring Gordon back. I think it's good. Why not? Didn't he last season? Good as some yeah. money. Only position, probably. United, United are vulnerable out wide as well, playing the two in midfield. Then there's there's space, there's space out wide. I think, and um, I think we'll just we'll play we'll play with a lot of pace on Sunday. Normally we we'd spend ten minutes on that, but we don't need to. It's one position now. The the rest picks itself, and that's a good sign. So hope, right. hopefully, hopefully Dom's back. Hopefully. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, we'll be back next week, of course.